I'll cast on him my every care. Scripture, uh, that's, a, that's a repeated theme in the Scripture. In fact, that casting all your cares on him is like a quote from the book of Titus where we are uh, encouraged to cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And the question I suppose a person might ask was, does he care for me better than I do? Because what we're talking about is something like a surrender of care. Something like, I will stop caring because he cares. <laughs> I will stop worrying because he's got it. This, is happen this idea it happens a lot in the Bible. If God is taking care of you, you are well taken care of. So the question for us, I suppose, is do we trust it? Do we trust it? We've come in the book of Hebrews to the word therefore. Therefore, even though it's a very small word in the Greek language the Bible is written in, is a big word. It's a big word. It's the word that points out that we're now going to answer the question, so what? And we've been reading in the book of Hebrews all about the greatness of the Lord Jesus and how superior the Lord Jesus is to other ways. And especially because the book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of Jewish Christians who are thinking about easing up on the emphasizing of Jesus in order to return to something that will be less troublesome for them, that is, uh, simple Judaism. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing out how what kind of a giant step backward that would be. Unthinkable if a person appreciates the greatness of Jesus. Now, you might have noticed, uh, several people have noticed it to me, that the book of Hebrews is kind of repetitive that we have ended up saying the same thing again in a slightly different way several times. How great the sacrifice of Christ is. How the sacrifice of Christ is once and for all and not time after time, day after day. How the priesthood of Christ is superior because he offers himself as a sacrifice and he offers himself once and for all and that how that sacrifice actually delivers us from our actual guilt. Like he calls it the cleansing of the conscience. So that I can stand before God Almighty, the righteous judge of all humanity, and be regarded as righteous in Christ, and that that problem has been solved, has been solved. See, and now you're all saying, yeah, we've heard all that. It's repeated. 
But this morning we come to therefore, which is so what? Last week we noticed that in Christ, religion sort of is rendered moot. That is, religious duties are no longer a thing in Christ. And last week I concluded by saying, so why are we all here in church doing our religious duties? What is this for if it's not a religious duty? What are we doing? What is the Christian life if it's not a religious duty? If it's not an effort to make ourselves pleasing to God? Because according to the book of Hebrews in Christ, that job has been accomplished. And in fact, we stand before God pleasing to God. He receives us as his children as we sang. So, then what? Well, now we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, and there's three things that are the so what to the book of Hebrews. In fact, we've heard these things already in the book of Hebrews. And yet, we're going to hear them all nicely laid out here. And we're going to take three weeks to talk about these six verses because each of the three things uh, merits its own discussion. However, they do go together. And it's frankly really hard to have one and not the others. In fact, I would argue it's not possible to have one and not the others, that they're intertwined, that they're, you can't really untangle them from each other. What are the three things? Well, let's read this text. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Well, that he's just repeating again, isn't he? Since this, since this, since this, these are all, he's summarizing. Therefore, let us draw near. Let us draw near. That's the first thing. Draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first one. Let us draw near. Let us, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And, verse 24, let us consider one another to stimulate love and good deeds. Let us consider one another to stimulate love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. So those are the three things. Draw near, hold fast, consider one another. Draw near, hold fast, consider one another. So we do have to begin with his basis for these three exhortations. And uh, we're going to talk about what that expression, let us, means. But uh, before we do, we need to notice these things that we have, that he notices again. And we might say, yeah, yeah, we know. But apparently, we need the reminder. We need this summary, this sort of cap on what he said already in order to move forward. And so he says, here's some things we have. We have confidence. This word is also translated boldness. Chutzpah, we could call it. The temerity. Boldness, confidence. This verse, by the way, should remind us of the verse in chapter 4 where he says, let us draw near to the, with boldness, let us come before the throne of grace with boldness to receive help in time of need. Okay, so even this is a repetition. We have the boldness to enter the holy place. Oh, for crying out loud. Now, I've said this just like that a million times while we've been studying the book of Hebrews, that it is astonishing that we have the boldness to enter the holy place because the holy place is holy. How can we go in there? Well, the answer is because of the sacrifice of Christ right here, by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. So there was an old way of entering the holy place. The high priest, not, uh, not any one of us, but the high priest representing us could go in with this animal sacrifice into the holy place, the old way with a dead thing. And now there's a new way and a living one. Because Christ, the sacrifice, is not dead. So this is a living way. And he inaugurated it for us, this new and living way, through the veil. Okay, well, we're talking about the temple, right? We remember all this because he said all this before in the book of Hebrews. Through the veil, that's that heavy curtain that separated God from sinners. And Christ has made a way through it for the sinners, and so we have confidence, boldness to go in there because of the way he has made <clears throat> by the new and living way which he inaugurated through the veil, that is his flesh, his 
body. We have his body and his blood in this text. Did you notice? By the blood of Jesus, that is, by his new and living way, his flesh. The sacrifice of Christ, the thing we will celebrate in a moment, the body and the blood of Christ makes it possible for us to go on in with boldness. Well, since we have these things, we have these things. We don't have to get these things. They have been gotten for us and given to us. We have them. Well, then, what is the only thing that makes sense to do? Draw near. Draw near. Let us draw near. Now, this expression, draw near, is an expression that's used in the Old Testament for the people gathering at the tabernacle. What did they do? They drew near. There's a gathering. This is really appropriate for the day of Pentecost because on the day of Pentecost, there's a gathering into the temple courts of God to celebrate our relationship to God. And in the gathering, the Spirit is poured out that leads to this draw near. Draw near. Let us draw near. That means let us come and worship. Let us come and worship. Well, we've, we're, we're here. We drew near to worship. But I would want to suggest to you that there's more to it than just that. Seems maybe obvious. That there's an opportunity. If I have this, I don't have to wait till Sunday. I don't have to wait ever. I can draw near to the very throne of grace. Before the living God, I can converse with Almighty God at any time, in any situation, wherever I might be. And we can have a gathering of us around the throne of grace at any time for whatever reason we want. Because we are gathering like little children. We don't even know what to want. We don't know what's best for us. We draw near because he does. And we don't. There's a surrender that happens in drawing near, isn't there? There's a, oh, wait, he's the one I need. He's the thing I need. I thought I needed that and that and that and this and that. I thought I needed you to behave in a way that pleases me. I thought I needed the world to revolve around me. I thought I needed a bigger piece of cake. But I'm like a child. I don't really know what I need. But he does. He's the perfect father. Draw near. Draw near. Now the scripture says, 
Let us draw near. Let us. That sounds like, okay, we can if we want to. And it is kind of like that. Because, of course, you could decide not to. You could decide not to. Well, that would be the dumbest possible thing you could do, wouldn't it? If Christ, by his body and blood, has opened the entryway, has literally torn the veil in two so that there is an open door so that you can communicate freely with God Almighty about whatever tiny concern you might have at any time in any place, you would stay away? Well, that's so stupid, it's insulting. That is really foolish if the way is open and you don't go in, in this case. If you don't bring yourself near to God when you can without any question or retribution. God is happy to see you in Christ. He is your Abba Father, not your righteous Father ready to punish you for that thing you did before you showed up here this morning. You've already, that's all done, over. He's ready to just welcome you, embrace you. You can sit on his lap. You don't have to say anything. You can just cry if you want to. Draw near. Draw near. It's the only response that makes any sense. So what does it mean to draw near? Like, how would you do it? Well, like we've gathered here this morning. This is kind of a drawing near. We're here to, to meet the Lord. And the Spirit is present when the church gathers. And the Spirit moves in us. And the Spirit operates through the Word of God preached and read so that we come near to God. And that is a transforming experience, or should be. I uh, had a preacher who explained the task of preaching as the task of a tour guide. And what we're doing is we're standing together, and maybe I'm at the front because that's where tour guides stand, and I'm saying, do you see this? Get a load of this. This is the most amazing thing you could possibly see. And I'm going to explain some of the stuff you're seeing so that you see it even better and so that you appreciate it even more and so that you understand the love of God in Christ at a deeper level. We all together take a view, a grand view of God's mercy, his amazing grace. Now, we sing amazing grace. We get really used to the word amazing, and we're not that amazed anymore, but it's amazing. And so we gaze and we are renewed in our souls. We find rest. 
when Jesus said, come to me, come to me, come to me. All you weary, heavy laden people. I think every last person in this room knows what weary, heavy laden means. So we come to him and what do we find? Rest in our souls when we rejoice in the giant, magnificent mercy of God toward us in Christ. Draw near. Now, I think drawing near is something like the maintaining of the praying life. And I don't mean a life that's always going around praying as an activity. I mean a life that is a prayer. I mean a life that is always noticing and depending on God's perfect providence. God's perfect fatherhood of his children. A life that is always thinking, that's where I go to get anything I need. I look to him. I don't look to you or to me or to anything or anyone else. I look to him. And if I experience God's providence, if I trust in God's providing nature, Oh, what a powerful thing that is. Powerful. If I am totally provided for and I really trust myself to that, I can treat you well even when you treat me poorly. I can do right by you even when the world is not doing right by me. When does the world ever do right by anyone? When I find life to be burden and weary and heavy, I go to him and I find rest in my soul, and then I become rest for other people's souls. Because I operate from the good grace of God. It's powerful. It's powerful. And I think even those of us who have been at this for a long, long time, we're just barely getting started on this. And we should be even kinder, not because you should be kinder, but because he has been so kind. And so drawing near is this conscious, continuous, dependent enjoyment of God. Enjoyment of God and his grace. It's what the old uh, monk called practicing the presence of God. It's recognizing the nearness of God. It's living knowing that God is near. He's, the Bible says, at hand. It's walking in fellowship with God. 
It's a prayerful life. It's a worshiping life. It's what Paul's talking about when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice life. It's a life lived at the throne of grace. I heard a preacher one time say we should pitch our tent between the cross and the empty tomb. We are always present in the grace of God. We are always mindful that we stand freely before God in the righteousness of Christ. Draw near. Draw near. Now, it's common when preaching this text, it's common for preachers to talk about your devotional life. You know, like, do you have a quiet time? You know, the expression quiet time is something we made up in the 20th century. And that's not to say it's a bad idea at all. But this is so much larger than just your devotional life. It is a really good practice to start wherever you're starting from with drawing near to God. In Christ, by the Spirit. What a fantastic way to do that is praying. Here's another fantastic way to do it. Read the Bible. Where God speaks. Now, you can go before the throne of grace and you can do all the talking. He's okay. He's not disturbed. He's happy to hear from you, whatever you have to say. And he's capable of interrupting you if he needs to. And he's capable. Have you ever been interrupted? (laughs) Yeah, he can do that. And he can speak to you. The question will be, are you listening? Well, draw near. Pay attention. It's not rocket science. It's be where God is in Christ. Now, he describes sort of how to do this, not not how to do it in practical terms, but what sort of position we occupy when doing this, he says, with a sincere heart, with a sincere heart, that word sincere you could also translate as true, with a true heart. Now this is not the natural condition of our hearts. You could read about this in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 7, you could read about what the natural condition of human hearts is. You remember this text? The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Well, that is not a true heart described there. How do you have a true heart? You're in Christ. You're in Christ. The Spirit dwells in your heart. You come true. Also, this implies a certain honesty, right? So I can come in Christ, saint and sinner at the same time. 
I can bring all my junk and just lay it out and say, this is the problem. Help me. I don't have to hide. Here's the thing, when important when an important person's coming over to your house, before the important person gets to your house, there's a tendency to hide a bunch of things, right? To set up a, a view. Well, here's the thing. When Jesus comes to your house, he, are, he already knows where all the dirt is. And you don't have to hide a sing, a single thing. You can be exactly who you are and you can come. Now, he's not going to leave you in bad condition. But you don't have to hide. You can be sincere, true, hearted. And this is also a heart that trusts God. You know, you don't draw near to God if you don't trust him. Because drawing near to God is dangerous if you don't trust him. If you're not in Christ, drawing near to God is the last thing you want to do. But in Christ, you come on in. You're welcome. You trust him. The second thing it says here is in full assurance of faith. Full assurance means like total confidence. <laughs> not tiptoeing. You do not have to sneak in hope no one sees you, you can come in there and say, hey, everybody, I'm here. And you might annoy the rest of us, but you will not annoy him. Full, total confidence, trusting the provision of Christ. There's something childish about this. Simple childlike faith. Jesus said that, you know, you can't come unless you have faith like a child. That I don't know any better trust. It's childlike reliance on Abba, Father. It's seeing all provision in God. It's a praying life drawing near. It's knowing that all provision is in him. And so I can be who I am. And I can trust him to be my father. Fathers correct their children. Fathers address their children. Fathers deal with their children for the child's benefit. That kind of father. Now, so I come with a sincere heart. I come with a full assurance of faith. And I come having, oh, we're having some stuff again. We're having these things, these two things. Now, there's something I want you to notice about the things we're having. So he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of our faith. Having. Here's the thing about this word having. It's in what we call the perfect tense. So these are things you have. 
You have have these things. You have these things. You used to not have these things. Now you have them. They are yours. It's irrevocable. They have been established for you. You have these things. You do not have to get these things. You do not have to get more of these things. You already have these things. What? Your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Your heart sprinkled clean. I guess we probably understand that if we've read the book of Hebrews up till now because the sacrifice of Christ purifies your heart before God. Sprinkled clean, and this is an allusion to the Old Testament worship where blood was sprinkled on the people to make them clean, to be suitable worshipers so that they could, in fact, draw near. Well, we can draw near because our hearts have been sprinkled clean, not have been and will need it again tomorrow like the old system, but have been once and for all sprinkled clean so that at any time you have a clean heart before God if you are in Christ. Your conscience has been solved. The blood of Christ removes the guilt of our sin and purifies our consciences. I can stand in the presence of God fearlessly because I have that. And my body has been washed. Now, this also is an allusion to the Old Testament practice where everyone had to take a bath. And there were like various ceremonial washings that were required to make us suitable worshipers before God. This says we have that already. This is not a commandment. This isn't telling you you need to have this in order to draw near. It's telling you you already have it, so for heaven's sake, draw near. Your body washed, it's a second expression for the cleansing that is provided by Christ. Now, this is represented and is present in the in an emblematic form in our baptism. But this isn't strictly a reference to baptism. It's a reference to the purifying work of Christ in the life of a person. And so you have an inside and out cleansing your body and your heart. You're pure so you can have standing before God So, what are we called to do? Draw near. One of the best theology books I ever read was talking about what it is that makes human beings unique in the created order. And he said, you know, there's been thousands of years of people struggling with, well, what is it about humans? What's different between us and the other creatures? So for a while we thought, well, maybe it's the use of language. And then we taught some other creatures how to use language, so I guess it's not that. We, uh, we used to think, well, maybe it's a 
rational capacity. Well, other creatures have rational capacities. Maybe it's an emotional capacity. Well, other creatures look a lot like they have emotional capacities. What is it? Only one creature is created according to his likeness, according to his image. Only one. And so this theologian used this expression. The thing that makes human beings unique in the created order is this. Human beings are the praying animals. Human beings are the ones who are in their created nature capable of converse with God. We are the ones who can have fellowship with God. It is the thing that's the principal difference between you and a really smart gorilla. A gorilla can be really smart. They even can talk. They can't use their voice, but they can use signs, language. But they can't pray. You can. And because of Christ, you can. And you can expect, actually, that God will hear you. That he will pay attention to you. That he will treat you like his child. For you are his child in Christ. You can. So I want to encourage us all to pray. And I don't just mean have a, you know, a say grace before you eat or get up in the morning and say a prayer. or I mean all those things. But I also mean live a life that's a prayer. Walk in the provision of God all the time. Everything you do Say, Lord, help me. It will change what you do, too. But we want to be the people who draw near because Christ paid the whole price to make it possible. Let us draw near. Father, we give you thanks. Your goodness to us is beyond our imagination. Lord, we thank you for the body and the blood of Christ. For the opening of this new and living way. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that the spirit in us would encourage us each and together to walk with you. To always recognize your nearness. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, We are saying, yes, we want Christ. We receive the new covenant in his blood. We want to walk in it. We want to walk with you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.